My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you. It's a joy to sit underneath the word of Christ along with you as well and worship him through his word. We're going to be in Mark 5, what was just read to you this morning. I want to open us up asking you this question. Are you desperate for Jesus? Are you desperate for Jesus? When you wake up throughout your day, and when you lay down at night, are you desperate for Jesus? There's a lot of things in our lives that we get desperate for. We feel a magnetic pull to a lot of things in this world. But are we most drawn to Jesus? Are we most desperate for Jesus? And that requires us to embrace our condition. To embrace our desperate condition. And then to lose sight of anything that could possibly come in to help us except for Jesus. To, to then locate all of our hope on Jesus. That's what makes us desperate for Jesus. When we've lost hope in anything but Him. And the good news this morning that we're going to see in our text, that if we are desperate and if we are looking to Jesus to meet us in our need, He is faithful to meet us and to deliver us. Jesus delivers the desperate. That's the main point of our text this morning. The desperate are delivered through faith in Christ. We're going to take this under two headings this morning, two exhortations out of our text. Number one is be desperate for Christ. And secondly, be delivered by Christ. Let's pray for the Lord's help as we dive in. Father God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. Your word is not a right that we have. Your word comes to us this morning by grace. We don't deserve to be here this morning. We don't deserve to be opening up your scriptures. We don't deserve to be hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. What grace there is this morning, God, that you would be speaking to us. And what's more, God, coming to us in our desperation. We pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would, you would apply it to our hearts as we see your word this morning. That then we would see and behold and trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. We would see him high and lifted up far above every other name as God of the universe, and as the one to meet us in our greatest need, in our desperation, and to deliver us into your glory. We bring you now, God, our entire selves and our own stories, our failures, our disappointments, our weaknesses, our points of sin and shame and struggle, 
We bring it all to you now, God, and we ask you to meet us where we are. In your name we pray for your glory. Amen. The first exhortation is to be desperate for Christ. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, he just cast out the demon on the other side of the water, comes back over, and a great crowd gathers about him. And he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. This guy named Jairus is his name. And seeing him, he he falls at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So we first meet Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. He manages the synagogue. He's an influential man in the community. A man of much and great respect. But something's not well with Jairus. All is not well with him. What's going on? He's he's got a daughter that he loves so much. He even calls her my my little daughter. She's 12 years old, but it's 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 a sign of such great endearment. It's like my baby girl. This precious girl who's 12 years old, he loves, he's got so much affection for her and and she's sick. She's not doing well. More than that, her sickness is winning the war on her body. And he's probably even been watching this and walking through this with his daughter for some time now and It's gotten so bad that she is at the point of death. Literally the brink of death. She's at the doorstep of death. She's about to go. She's about to transition. And he's lying at her bedside. I can hardly imagine him laying there. This mix of anguish and Anticipation, anxiety filling his heart. Each passing breath is is a gift to be received, but it also fills him with fear and anxiety. Is this the last breath that she's going to breathe? He's in great anguish and anticipating the worst. They're out of time. He's out of time. And there's no more options for his baby girl. And then he remembers. I've heard of a guy. I've heard news of a guy. This guy, Jesus. And I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to him. He he, He might be able to help my daughter. Nothing else can right now, but maybe he will. I'm, I'm going to go to him and off he runs to find Jesus. And I can just imagine he's, he's searching frantically for him. He's leaving his daughter. His daughter, the next breath might be her last. And he's running. Where is Jesus? And he runs up and he, he's running to the, to the sea where he's maybe heard that he is. And 
He sees the crowd. Okay, there's the crowd. Jesus must be in the center of that crowd. And in desperation, he says, I'm barging through. And there he goes, breaking through the crowd. And when he gets through the crowd and finally gets to Jesus, he falls on Jesus's feet, by his feet, falls to the ground and implores him. It's not a superficial prayer here. He's let go of of any formality of his his prayer. He's he's just earnestly imploring Jesus from the depths of his being, Jesus, I need help because my daughter needs help. She is sick. Will you please come and lay your hands on her? He is desperate for Jesus. And in his desperation, he connects the dots to Jesus being the solution, to Jesus being the deliverer, faith in Christ. And then they are interrupted with another desperate situation. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but only grew worse. For 12 long, painful years, this woman has been bleeding and undergoing so much suffering, so much torment. She's tried everything and life's not getting better for her. Life is getting worse. She's going to all these doctors And with each doctor, there's this new glimmer of hope. Well, maybe he can help me. And after that doctor's prescription leaves her worse, she goes and finds another doctor and on and on and on it goes. And it says her suffering just gets worse. They're not helping her. They're making her worse. She's tried all the things from the latest Essential oil blend to some horrific surgical procedure that would make us cringe to even think about. The scarring, the bleeding just continues. Pain upon pain. And what's worse here is that she's then left not only in her pain, but she's left penniless. She spent everything that she has in order to try to get help. And now she is broke. But her situation goes much deeper than just physical pain, much deeper than becoming broke. Because of her disease inside of the Jewish ceremonial system, she was considered unclean. So this has all this spiritual implication on her. She's unclean. She's not allowed to be a part of the life of the people. She's not allowed to enter into the temple. She can't worship with the people of God. She can't be around the people of God. She's she's isolated outside. She's marginalized. She has become an outcast. This is social distancing in the extreme. And there's no digital or virtual way for her to connect with other people. 
So you, you compound all this physical pain with this incredible, piercing sense of shame and isolation. This woman is desperate. She's in a desperate situation. She's tried everything. And then she hears. She hears a report, it says. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus Word travels to her ear. Faith is awakened in her heart. Faith doesn't just poof into existence. Faith happens as we gaze upon and behold the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. A word of truth travels to this woman and it reaches her ears and faith comes in her heart, attaches itself to these words and she says, yes, I believe that. I believe this word about Jesus. And here she goes and she says, and more than that, his healing power is for me as well. I'm going to him. He can help me. And so in her pain and in her shame, she gets up and she starts going towards Jesus. I would imagine that she even has trouble walking. I'd imagine there's a lot of obstacles in her life right now. They're telling her, don't go. It's not worth it. Don't you know he's just going to let you down like all the other doctors have let you down? And in her struggle, she just keeps going one foot in front of the other. And then she reaches the crowd. And she's probably weak. And there's this huge crowd that's thronging around Jesus. It's standing room only, like a, like a picture of, of Times Square over New Year's Eve. Not this past New Year's, which was empty, but in a normal Times Square New Year's Eve where you can't walk. And I see this girl approaching this crowd, and she's got to get to Jesus. And I just want you to see the desperation in her, the perseverance, saying, I'm going to get to him. I'm going to break through this crowd so that I can touch his garment. And came up behind him in the crowd as 27 continues and touched his garment. 28, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Desperation. Faith locating deliverance on a person, on Jesus. Jairus and this woman are both desperate. Their condition is desperate. All hope is gone. No other options are out there. I ask you again, are you desperate for Jesus this morning? Are you desperate for Jesus? Are there signs in your life that this is how much you care about being with Jesus? Is faith alive in your heart that's locating your deliverance in Jesus? Have you embraced your condition? Right? Disease and death are bad. 
But they're pointing us to a far greater, terrible reality of ours. Death and disease are in the world because disobedience is in our hearts. All the disease and all the death that we see in the world today has happened because we decided to worship the creator, creation rather than the creator because we disobeyed him and we began treasuring this world. The consequence is death. The consequence is eternal death. We are all sinners. We've inherited that from Adam and Eve. And we deserve the eternal wrath of God. And there's nothing we can do about it. Have you ever tried to stop sinning? Like really tried? If you've tried to stop sinning, you will soon realize you cannot do it. I'm speaking about your own strength in your flesh. You cannot stop sinning. That's our problem. And it's deceptive, right? Because we can change behavior. There's all kinds of strategies and techniques and tips and just flex your muscle and and yet you might be able to change your behavior. You get a little behavior modification in, but did you stop sinning? Did you change your heart from which all the external actions of your life flow? That's the point that Jesus and the Bible makes with us. We we have this polluted spring coming out of our hearts. It's It's an evil spring. The source of everything that happens in our life is polluted. And it doesn't matter which way you turn the stream, the thing is polluted. You can turn it to the brothel. You can turn it to a church service a Bible study, whatever it is, but because the heart is polluted, everything we do is polluted. It's tainted. Right? You might get some behavior modification, but you just trade it in for, for self-righteousness, for self-worship. We're not loving God. We're not loving neighbor like God calls us to. God even says, according to His standards, our most righteous deeds are filthy rags in His sight. The greatest thing humanity has ever done apart from the Spirit of God, filthy in God's sight. We're desperate. We don't have the power to go upstream and fix the source. Can't do heart surgery to get at this thing. Can't clear the water and and that source is killing us. Sin inside of us is killing us and we are truly lying on our deathbeds and there's no other options. And we are bleeding out and we are going to die and there is no moral effort or medical procedure or financial thing that we could give ourselves to that can fix us. That is the point here. It makes us desperate. 
Help must come from somewhere outside of ourselves and outside of our own effort. And that's what the Bible is doing, putting Jesus on full display. Help must come from somewhere else. It must come from heaven. And in Jesus, it does. That's what we see next in the second exhortation this morning. Not only to be desperate for Christ, but to receive the deliverance of Christ. Consider this woman first, verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around and to see who had done it, but the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. We'll pause there. In an instant, when she touches even just the garments of this man, all of her misery disappears. It vanishes. She is transformed. Her life is transformed. Everything she hated about herself, gone, eradicated. She is healed in that exact moment. She can feel it, and Jesus can feel that something has happened. And Jesus wants to engage her, right? Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's not just about healing bodies. He's, a, he's after something so, so much greater. He will heal bodies. He will accomplish, uh, overcome death, but he's after more. And that's why he turns around because he wants to engage this woman personally. She comes trembling. Okay, you can remember she is, she is afraid because public, she, she's not supposed to be out in public like this. She was risking it all. She was risking all kinds of shame coming out in the crowd. And when she touches him, Ceremonially, legally, this man's supposed to become unclean. She just polluted him. And so, who knows all that's going in her heart, but she is afraid right now. What is this man, this rabbi, this teacher going to do to me with this crowd watching? And how does Jesus respond? Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go into peace. Be healed. Enjoy your healing. He calls her daughter. Enters into relationship with her. Doesn't just heal her body, but he restores her dignity and calls her up into relationship with him. He's saying, you're with me now, and I'm with you. The peace I'm giving you is so much greater than having your body healed of this disease. I'm giving you relationship with me. I am here. There's no judgment for you. I'm, I'm here for you. Rise out of your shame and rise out of your pain and, and go into peace. The peace of God. She got a lot more 
than what she came for. That is the way Jesus treats all of us. We come to Jesus for one thing, and he gives us blessings untold that we could not even have imagined. He does the same thing with Jairus, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Come on, dude, give it up. Let's not bother him. The stakes just got raised higher. We were here to ask Jesus to come and heal this girl, this, his daughter. Now things have been raised in terms of their gravity. What Jairus fears has become his reality. The great fear is, my daughter's going to die. Therefore, I need help while she's sick and still living. That's where I'm locating some opportunity. Said, do not want her to die. Once she dies, it's over. And here, word comes to him. She's dead. She's dead, Jairus. Let's go home. I would imagine fears and anguish begins coming into his heart. We don't, we don't get to know inside of his heart. The text doesn't tell us. Perhaps he's a little, he begins to get upset well, you know, at Jesus. Well, if you didn't stop to help this woman, you might have gotten to my daughter in time. We don't know exactly, but I would imagine those things are going on in his heart. What we do know is that she's dead. And Jesus overhears this. In verse 36, he says, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. I know right now your greatest fear is your reality. And you're experiencing all kinds of anguish right now coming into your heart. Do not fear. Keep believing. Keep believing, Jairus. I am here. Keep your eyes on me, Jairus. Keep believing in me. Verse 37, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Jesus right here is not making a formal diagnosis of this child. He's using sleeping as a metaphor. He knows that she's dead. He's saying she's going to rise again. Just like we go to bed at night and we rise in the morning. And if you're wondering what all this commotion is about, there were professional wailers here in this culture. What you would do as a, as a sign of your despair and your grief when somebody would die, you would hire professional wailers that would just come and, and they would cry and they would wail and they would make this, this big commotion so that everybody else around could know that you just experienced death. On the other end of the spectrum, kind of like in our day and time, it's like you would, if you saw blue balloons on a mailbox, you would know that a baby boy was born in that house. 
And here, when you hear this, this commotion and these noises, you instantly know, okay, this is the culturally appropriate symbol that death has come to this house. And skeptics would argue that maybe they didn't know. Everybody knew this girl was dead. This girl was dead. Jesus, verse 40, he puts them outside. Get out of here. Got no business being here. Puts him outside, takes the child's father and mother and those who are with him. And they went into where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he says to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them, don't tell anyone. No one should know this. He told them to give her something to eat. So supernatural and so practical. This is an unbelievable scene here. Again, anguish and anticipation. Anguish, because they're looking on. Their daughter's dead. And there, here comes this teacher. He, he comes in and he goes over to her bed where she's lying. She's lying lifeless. There's no heartbeat. There's no breath in this little body that they love, their precious girl. And Jesus places her hand in his unbelievable tenderness and restraint here and power here in this moment. Takes this little girl's hand in his and then he speaks a word to her. And it's also another term of endearment. It's like he says, honey, honey, get up. It's time for you to get up, honey. Just like her father and mother probably did countless mornings. It's time to get up and immediately her eyes open. Her heart starts beating. She takes a breath. She gets up. She starts walking around. This is by far the most striking thing that we've seen in the ministry of Jesus up to this point that Mark is recording for us. Okay, he casts out demons. Okay, he calms the storm. Okay, he heals diseases. But raising the dead? Who is this man? Right in that Mark's Big question he's posing to us throughout the entirety of his book. Who do you say that this man is? Who does this? God does this. God calms storms. God casts out demons. God heals diseases. God raises the dead. Jesus does that. 
Jesus is God. The bleeding woman is restored to health and to peace and to life in the community. This little girl is restored to her family. And in both cases, extreme blessing and transformation comes by the hand and the person and the work of Jesus. Are you desperate for Jesus? Are you desperate for him to show up in your life? Not just in the here and now, but for eternity. Are you desperate for Jesus and his deliverance? If we will just come, his deliverance that he has for all of us here today on this field and watching online will leave us in amazement, utter amazement with blessings that we cannot even fathom. Would we come now in our desperation? Would we come now and see how Jesus actually is going to deliver us? In this story, they're looking forward to it. In our story, we're looking back. The point of deliverance for sinful humanity happens on the cross of Jesus Christ. He does not deliver us through a kind word or through a gesture of his hand. He delivers us through personal self-sacrifice. He does not speak on the outside of our condition into it. He enters into our condition on our behalf and he absorbs it. I plead with you now, unbeliever and believer, to, to again, for the first time or for the thousandth, thousandth time, to gaze upon the bleeding lamb of glory and have your bleeding stopped. Have your sinful, chronic condition stopped. Be received back into the presence of God and the family of God. Have your sin washed away, cleansed, be forgiven. That happens as we place our faith in Jesus on the cross, dying in our place where we deserve to be. Praise God that we don't have to go searching for him this morning. We have access to him by faith this morning, right here where you sit today. We simply turn our hearts. We simply gaze upon him. We hear the report. You hear the word of God this morning and you say, yes, I believe. I believe that you do it for others. I believe you can do it for me. Jesus, would you forgive my sin? I believe and your death on the cross in my place. Jesus does not stay in the grave. He comes out of the grave himself. The vindicated substitutionary sacrifice for all sinners. He was the righteous one. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as we place our faith in the cross. The resurrection is ours too. Christ's story is our story. He is the one through his work that does hold us by the hand. And he will lead us through death. He will carry us. This story does not mean that all tribulation in this life is, is going to be gone. That's not the way it works. But it does promise that Jesus is with us and he's going to carry us through. He does heal and forgive and he gives us his spirit that we can be righteous in this life. 
We're always going to have indwelling sin. But we're born of God. We begin living out what it means to love God and to be a part of God with His nature in us. So see today Jesus dying for your sin, coming out of the grave, giving you resurrection, life, and power. One day we will be with Him in the resurrection in a kingdom where there will be no sickness, there will be no disobedience. It will all be love and joy and freedom and peace forever and ever in the kingdom of Christ and our God. Don't be like the crowds this morning. There was many who rubbed shoulders with Jesus and they remained unaffected untransformed. They didn't receive any blessing from Jesus. They were there as spectators. Going to throng about Jesus to see the latest miracle. Don't be like that. Don't be a part of a church. Don't go to a Bible study and just rub shoulders with Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. That's what separates Jairus and this woman, apart from the crowds. There were many there with Jesus, but there were only these two that approached Jesus in faith. And they got the power. They got the blessing from Him. Are you desperate for Jesus? May we go to Him now in faith and receive the deliverance that He's already worked for us. And may we celebrate his deliverance, living out a life of peace and wholeness and blessing as we look toward that future eternal home that he's preparing for us. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, God. We, we, we thank you that you are indeed the name above all names and you are above every broken condition of ours, disease, death, and sin itself, you have conquered it all in your work on the cross and in the resurrection. And we get you now forever. God, help us to, to have desperate, clinging faith to you. Not faith in our own faith, but faith in you. Faith in you, in Christ and your work for us. We give you our lives now and we respond as those who want to carry this message to the, to the hurting and the broken world that, that God has not even heard the report yet. They've never heard the name of Jesus. God, would you bless us? Would you grace us, God, with this missional urgency and passion to take the report to our neighbors and to the nations that many might enter into your peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.